I want that. And I don't need that, but I want it anyway. Tara oh. has turned into me. <laughs> I'm just on Wish. You know how uh, how quality all the things on Wish are. I want them all. I have an Amazon addiction. I have an addiction to looking at things I'm never going to buy for myself. There are these BuzzFeed like product lists now. <sighs> Dangerous. They're always like, oh my gosh, you could never know how you would live without these products. Right. And one of them is a pancake maker that makes your pancakes look like cats. I mean, but that is right up your alley. There is a, it's I think it's an R2-D2 waffle maker or yeah. something, and I need it. I need it. I don't, let me be honest here. There are products in those lists. Like, there's one thing called the Centipede. It's like this, it's like a pipe cleaner, but it's like, has like very, like, Barbie barbs on it. <laughs> sure like okay. when you stick it down your drain it's supposed to like really cling onto those hairs and let me tell you that thing was worth it it was like five dollars <laughs> i didn't save myself plumbing bills <laughs> i think that's great listen we're adults we have to do adult things that's right so, so that was good it's the centipede <clears throat> it's worth your money but then there was these tablets that you're supposed to like put in a coffee pot or like thermos and it's supposed to like clean out like all the grime at the bottom of it oh. and so i tried doing it with my smoothie maker because there's kind of like a like almost like a bathtub ring on it and that shit didn't work you can't always trust that shit well this is true i don't cook i hate cooking i know how to cook i just don't like it on my amazon wish list is definitely one of those oven guard things where you like put the like ring on the front of the oven what are the shelvies called the racks <laughs> the shelvies <laughs> but you know how like you reach in and you burn yourself on the fucking rack no because i use a pot holder well okay but is like, that what it's called? Yes, pot it's a pot holder. But like the pot holder only goes into like oven mitt. Oven yeah, oven mitt. I saw that and I was like, that could be useful. I it's might, a, it's on my wish list. list, even though I hate cooking. For anyone listening, this is basic stitches. Basic stitches. How long have we been talking? That's Three Adam. minutes and 44 seconds. That's Adam. That's both of us. We're in this together. No, I was introducing you. Oh. <laughs> wow. Okay. I thought you were accusing me for just rambling. No. I'm Adam. That's Adam. Tara. I'm Tara. And we are the Basic Snitches team. We are something. We have a shopping problem. If you want, we'll post both <clears throat> of our Amazon wish lists on social media. My Amazon wish list is a bunch of books and those presents. rack things. Anyways. We read chapter two of Fisherman. Fat Bitch Ant or also Ant Marge's. Big mistake. Oh, I should talk about. Oh yes, winner loser. One. Oh my gosh, we can do that because oh we didn't God. have one last okay. chapter. So the loser of chapter one mm-hmm. is Scabbers, just for being just in for existence. Because <laughs> he sucks. I would never have expected that, but I approve. It was almost Vernon for locking away Harry's school books, but like we're used to your bullshit. Shit. Yeah, he's so much of a loser. He doesn't even get to be loser as title anymore. Yeah. So there's that. But um, the winner of... Good pop free! <laughs> I had to. I had to do it. Uh, the winner of chapter one is Hedwig. Hedwig? <laughs> Why are you... Oh, what? Hedwig I is... thought I was going to be here because it's his birthday. <laughs> it's not his birthday until halfway through the chapter. I love it. I mean... I'm Hedwig. <laughs> technically, no, because it's one o'clock. No. I really wanted to give Hedwig the win. She finally gets to have some freedom over the summer. Mm-hmm. Even though she's on vacation, she's like, oh, I guess I'll bring Harry this present for no, her mind. you have to say that in a French accent. I can't do a French accent. What was she saying? I have to... I, I can't. Oh, I'm, I'm in oh. France, and I need to bring this. <laughs> that, no, that's You're bad. Still not that's bad. But yeah, I, I can't. I took six years of French. I took two years of French. Je pense que j'ai pas de mes pantalons. Something about pants. Yeah, that's the most fluent thing I can say after six years of French. I think I've forgotten my pants. Je oh. m'appelle un poulet. What? My name is a chicken. My name is a ch- I was like, my name is what? I stole that from another podcast. Oh. I, I gotta give credit. Better friendship through podcasting. It's about another gay man named Adam and another basic bitch named not Tara. You'd be surprised how common my name is. Her name is Kristen. I'm just making the point that my name is apparently more common than I realized. <laughs> I have the oldest name in the world. You do. Adam. My name is... Tara. 
It means something. Yeah, it is. <laughs> what does your name mean? Like, do you know the etymology of your name? So, Terra, um, like the Hill of Terra. There are two hills of Terra, and they are your titties. Oh. It has meant Earth, which is the most obvious one. Mm-hmm. Terra is spelled T-E-R-R-A. Sorry. Yeah, that makes sense. It's also translated to Rocky Pinnacle. I, that's what I read somewhere. Rocky Pinnacle. Rocky Pinnacle. Uh, that's what so. I like to call my dick. <laughs> and then, of course, yeah. Um, no reaction. <laughs> She's just like, let's move on. Oh, and did Adam make a dick joke? Oh, that's so First unusual. First one of the season. Didn't want to last episode. I should be shocked by Adam's very rare dick joke. Rocky Pinnacle. What else? <laughs> In French, did you know that pomme de terre means potato? <laughs> So, in French, <laughs> Pomme de Terra. Oh, you have a new nickname on and off this podcast. Pomme de Terra, the potato bitch. Well, it was already Jacket Potato. That, oh my god, you're right. Oh, I mean, wow. We're consistent without even knowing it. My name means man from red earth. Really? I did not actually know what Adam Man meant. from red earth. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. Anyways... We've been speaking for 10 minutes and we haven't even gotten to the, you know, meat of it. Okay. Yes. Uh, so, you can- Palm de Terra wrote me a beautiful <laughs> summary of this chapter. I did I'm not. Weird. You already wrote... Oh, I- no. That's you right. You wrote a oh summary for this chapter. <laughs> remember that time you read a summary that I wrote for chapter <laughs> hey, one? remember that time when we were like, hey, peace out, episode one. We're going to drink some more. <laughs> This is it. this is how that worked. I wrote a beautiful summary for you Palm de Terra. Did. <laughs> apple of the Terra. Ap- you're the apple of my eye, aka the Earth. Palm is apple. In the case you're not a French hoe. I'm not a French hoe. I'm not either. I'm not. I don't have any French. In I don't remember any of it. I'm Eastern European. I'm the pierogi to your potato. Talked, yeah, we just talked about how Irish I am. So anyway, guess what? It's longer than the one I wrote for him. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's pretty short for Adam. Wow, thanks. The library is closed. When in doubt, chapter two. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Chapter two. Fat bitch ant. Just kidding. Aunt Marge's big mistake. Fluffy Dinky Dutters has evolved into Mega Fluff as he eats all the bacon he doesn't deserve as the mug fucks watch the TV. Someone escaped from prison. Gee, I wonder who. His last name is Black. That's such a peculiar name. Could it be the same guy referenced in the first chapter of the series? Aunt Marge is coming to visit the Dursleys. Aunt Marge is a big, thick piece like just like... <laughs> I'm glad you liked that part. <laughs> a big, thick piece. Fuck you, banana wine. Okay. Oh, yeah. Like I said, we've got some, like, <laughs> consistencies going here. We're drinking banana <laughs> My sister gave me six bottles of banana Thanks, wine. Natalie. This episode is sponsored by Natalie Bottles. <laughs> Thanks, Natalie. Shout out, Natalie. Whew, okay, okay. Aunt Marge is a big, thick piece just like her brother, and maybe even more of an asshole. Harry hates her, rightfully so. Uncle Vernon says that he must behave himself and that they told him he basically goes to a correctional facility instead of Hogwarts. Harry blackmails Vernon, saying he'll behave if Vernon signs his permission slip to Hogsmeade. Apparently, killing a giant snake and escaping a forest full of spiders has given Harry massive balls because he is a major badass already in this book. Or maybe it's the fact that he's 13 and his balls have begun to drop. Regardless, Harry rocks, but we knew that. Speaking of Harry rocks... Marge arrives and it's terrible. (laughs) I was really proud of that one. (laughs) She's abusive toward Harry and even though bulldogs are a cool breed, the ones that Marge raises are aggressive. So we got two aggressive bitches in the house. Marge has... Hold on. Your reaction was really good there. She like shrug in the house. Shrug. Guys, I'm terrible. Okay. Marge also has Palm a... Palm terrible. Palm to terrible. <laughs> I'll take it. Okay. okay. Marge also has a friend named Colonel Fubster. <laughs> Just thought it was worth mentioning. Despite constant belligerent remarks by Mountain Marge, Mountain Marge, he remains calm and complies with Vernon. Even when she rips on his parents, eventually it becomes too much though when Harry gets mad. He causes her wine glass to shatter, and when that doesn't stop her from being a absolutely rancid bitch, 
Marge starts to inflate like the gas bag she is and floats off into the night sky. She goes into outer space, suffocates, and dies. Oh, that happens. Finally, a Dursley chapter that has a happy ending. Harry is so fucking pissed that he wills the cupboard to rock it open, grabs all his things, including the presents and books he hid in his bedroom, and storms out after telling Vernon to get fucked. Sure, he won't be going to Hogsmeade, but a round of applause from a thousand angels because even though he could be misinterpreted as being a moody teenager, that was hella brave and cool. You go, girl. I support your intensity. You liked that one. It was fun. I bet she's probably the nicest person in real life. Probably. I mean, it's like Imelda Staunton. Imelda Staunton is amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, There's yeah. that lovely interview where she's like, well, that wasn't very nice. I'm just like, <laughs> oh. Oh, man. Um, so, so the first thing I have to say, speaking <clears throat> of bulldogs, I love bulldogs. I, I do, too. such a cute breed. I do, too. Ripper's an asshole, though. He is. Which says something about Marge. Like, she is raising aggressive dogs. Aggressive asshole dogs. And, like, so my mom has a pet-sitting business. I may or may have not mentioned that on here. If you're going to mention a pet-sitting business, you should mention mine, but... I'm sorry. Was I cut out of your womb? Uh, I don't think so. I pay for this podcast to be published. Uh, yeah, she and my father paid for my everything. <laughs> Tara has a pet-sitting business, too. <laughs> So I've been on visits with my mom. I've gone to like see pit bulls and stuff. And I, I don't know. I like all bullies. I think they're all so cute. I love bulldogs. I have a bulldog that I watch regularly. Two pit bulls I watch regularly. Oh, I love that. My one brother, Travis, and wife, my sister-in-law, Carmen, they have two French bulldogs. I remember when I lived in my old, old apartment in Edgewater in Cleveland. It was a shithole, but there was one day when I think I heard something out in the hallway and I go out there, and there's just this English bulldog just straight up chilling in the hallway. And I was like, oh my god, you're so cute. What are you doing? And so then he started to follow me around. And I was like, I wish that I could, like, take you, but I don't know who owns you and everything. And eventually I think that his true owner got him. Because, I mean, there's this bulldog. He was trying to make some friends. Yeah. At that point, I had Dimitri, who is my original cat. He was a he was a half-blind uh, Siamese cat who had seizures. Oh. And I was like, mm, I probably shouldn't bring you in here because I don't know if you're aggressive towards cats. And my yeah. cat is kind of special needs. But I don't like If you want to see a cute bulldog, you can get on my Instagram. Millie is on there and she is very cute. Millie is a good name for a bulldog. Yeah, she's a good girl. So yes, there's the whole bulldog <clears throat> thing. But before we even get to Marge, there is this little moment where he goes down to breakfast and they're watching the TV. They're talking about a murderer. A murderer. Clearly it's Sirius Black. And I love that little reference. And they about actually... hair. Oh, yes. You know, about, like, like the disheveled like, hair. It's like, look at thing. the state of him. And he's just, like, looking over at Harry. Like, you a piece of shit. Yes. <clears throat> but, I mean, I don't necessarily know. This is the first time where there's been a nice gap between the beginning of the book and now where some of those, like, smaller details might have gotten lost. But they do refer to him in the first chapter. Because he, mm-hmm. he lent Hagrid his motorcycle. Yeah. Almost <clears> makes me wonder, like, is it possible that readers could have made that connection? I mean, I certainly would not. In have. this chapter, he's only referred to As by Black. his last name. Yes, but it's still. It's not until we get later on into the book that yeah. we get his full name. JK has been so good with, like, naming characters. When there is a connection, there is clearly a connection. It's interesting, but also that detail was so minute. And unless you're, like, dissecting this like we are, maybe not so clear. I like the line where it says, compared to this guy, Harry felt like he was well-groomed. Mm-hmm. He's just like, this is just how my hair lays. Yeah. The other thing, though, too, kind of like going off of that, (laughs) is this is also where Sassy Harry is growing. Especially in this chapter. I feel like Uh. this is maybe a little bit of a culmination. Or maybe he reaches that plateau where he's getting more and more confidence. And we'll get well, and we'll he's get been he gets pushed really hard, you know. He does, but this little moment where Vernon is like, <clears throat> "You will not be an asshole to her," and he's like, "I will if she doesn't." Vernon obviously isn't paying attention to him and everything, well, but I love that. I love that he is given a little bit of sass back. He doesn't even get a warning that Aunt Marge is coming, and Vernon is like, oh, "I'm gonna get Marge," and here he's like, "Wait, what the fuck? She's not coming here." Like in a line, you like oh, this is a history. We don't Mm. like her. She's not good. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, it's very funny because the similarities between Vernon and Marge are very, very similar. Angry assholes. Angry big mountain assholes with mustaches. 
I'm just like looking at his history with her and about how she like hits Harry because yes. he's gonna beat Dudley at a game and she like gives Harry dog biscuits for Christmas and then she lets her dog chase him up a tree and he like has to sit up there until for hours middle of the night yeah now we don't get as much abuse as we did in the last book thank god I mean well, we definitely get history of abuse but, yes but there's definitely still that line through well, here and the verbal abuse that comes it, there's a really, lot I don't know that it's any better it's you know a, tons of verbal and emotional abuse mm-hmm. for sure and I mean Harry gets his revenge Thankfully. But, but that's yeah. like not even intentional either, you know. Oh, kid. for sure. But there is that still similarities to that last chapter. I'm glad that we've at least moved a little bit past it. But it's a reminder that it's still there and it's not just coming from like the immediate family members here. <clears throat> Uncle Vernon is like, yeah, Marge is coming and we're going to get this straight. Like you're not going to fuck things up. And it's worth noting that Dudley, who is literally focused on food and television, pulls himself away from it so he can watch Harry be verbally abused by his father. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't notice that. Dudley smirked and withdrew his gaze from the television. Watching Harry being bullied by Uncle Vernon was Dudley's favorite form of entertainment. Wow, I glossed over that. It's interesting because at this point, there's not as much attention on Dudley or even Petunia. There's a lot. It's a lot of Vernon and Marge. Yeah. So that line is very important. I'm glad that you brought that up. But I also, like you said earlier, I love Harry sticking up for himself. He's like, mm, well, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if I remember St. Brutus's whatever the fuck. Yeah. And that black veil moment is so awesome, too. Yeah. Because, like, speaking of abuse. We're not, we're not condoning blackmail, but um, for 13-year-old boys being abused by their uncle, yeah, go for it. I'm condoning blackmail. Yeah. I know. Anyways, <laughs> that little moment where they're talking about it, and Harry's like, well, I don't know if I can behave myself. Vernon says something along the lines of, you will or I'll beat the stuffing out of you. So there's a little bit of that abuse thing again. But then Harry is right back in it with... I mean, also, Harry literally was, like, poisoned by a basilisk last year and survived giant spiders. I think, He's like, like, sure, Uncle Vernon, just hit me. Like, that's probably that's the easiest thing, which is really sad. Don't it worry, I'm, I'm still here, guys. It is, but I mean... <laughs> Uh, it's similar to what I said about Ginny in the last episode. Ginny has become so much stronger because of all the things that she has yeah. experienced. Harry has experienced more than Ginny. Ginny's stuff was pretty goddamn traumatic. But still, Harry's got two years on it. There's more things. He's encountered Voldemort now twice. Different type of thing, too. But Yeah. Oh, totally. And we're, folk, we're, you know, the story is Harry's. I mean, from the very beginning. Every time I start the series over, I'm always amazed at how much this child endures. Yeah. So this passing comment of Uncle Vernon saying, I'll beat the stuffing out of you, is really more so than that statement that you said you glossed over about Dudley being like, this is my favorite thing ever. Dudley's just this being is a the thing asshole. that is easily glossed over because this is just Harry's life. And that's so sad. Yeah, absolutely. When the bitch comes, uh, March, I forgot oh her God. name for a second. Mountain Troll, when Ursula, not Ursula, Ursula, <laughs> oh my um, God. Ursula, or I mean Ursula Fitz, Ursula is a badass villain, but I was going to say Umbridge too. When Umbridge too comes, when Muggle Umbridge, Mug, Muggle Mug, Umbridge, Mug, um, Mug Umbridge, Mugbridge, Mugbridge, when Mugbridge comes, she kind of ignores Harry at first and everything, and there's a little bit there of like, you know, we get the feeling that yes, this is the female version of Vernon. One thing, though, that I really enjoyed is... That she calls Dudley Nephew Poo? Well, alongside <laughs> lines of that, I think it's Petunia says something on page 19 in my version. It was, Daddy's got to make himself smart. And I was like, there is so much sarcasm there. Like, of course, smart looking, because they're going to put a bow tie that, like, recedes into the one of his necks. <laughs> and then Marge already talking about, like, the beatings that he's enduring in the correctional facility. And that really made me think of how the actress in the movie played the Trunchbull. There's a little bit of similarities there. Abusing children at school, you know? Yeah, I don't know. she's an abusive bitch. That's obviously not something you get from reading it, I, the book only, but the movie adds that. I find it amusing that Dudley is literally bribed to endure embarrassing 
aunt hugs and kisses. That's true, because he gets like 20 bucks or something yeah. like that. I mean, at this point, Dudley's basically a vegetable, even though he hasn't eaten one in, you know, 10 years. He's so passive in this moment, except for those nuanced moments that you pointed out. It's strange. It, it makes me almost wonder about Dudley's inner dialogue here. I don't know that Dudley has inner dialogue yet. It's not until he's older. His well, dialogue is like bacon, the British equivalent of the price is right, video games. Same. I mean, all I, those things. I mean, also fine. Also we are that, all Dudley. <laughs> not something that I thought we'd ever say. <laughs> but here we are. Oh, Dudley. Truly, like until the culmination of the chapter, I don't have too many other notes. Yeah, it's a lot of the building of Marge and her verbal abuse towards Harry because it starts with her first interaction with him in this trip where she's like you're still here the idea of an adult speaking to a child like that if Harry were like an asshole child who caused trouble or whatever and really was ungrateful and treated his aunt and uncle like shit this is a child whose parents are dead and when she starts poking at him about that and being like you know your father was a drunk or whatever and they didn't work and like his parents were 20 when they died of course, this is a completely different world and everything, and there isn't wizard college, unless there is, and that's something that we haven't really seen yet. When I was 20, you know, I was in the middle of college, too. I didn't, I graduated during the recession, too. I graduated in 2009. I was, like, what, 22? And it took me a while to, to eventually find a job and everything. So, like, even at that age, it's like, just because you don't have a job doesn't mean that you are a loser or anything. Everybody has their own journey. Okay, here's another bit of irony, too. Like, Marge's being a little bit of a drunk. Like She's a fucking this. mess. She's pour me a little bit more brandy. I mean... All of that. Yeah, I, I enjoy some brandy. I don't know if I enjoy brandy or not. I enjoy brandy. The whole interaction is just disgusting. I know we talked at the beginning of this book, like, oh, there's... The physical abuse is not as apparent as... It is in the first couple of books that Harry endures, but like the emotional, abuse the emotional abuse is really abuse. awful. Like, well, ooh. she also speaking of that, like almost drunken haze kind of thing. Like, she goes very much from just kind of like normal conversation, nothing, and then she just kind of snaps over to Harry and is like, "Okay, now I'm going to focus on you." And it, she clearly gets some pleasure out of it. It's clearly something that is very pointed and everything. It's very deliberate. How she abuse. revels in the idea of him being beaten. Yeah. Is disgusting. However, this is also then where I have a lot of pride towards Harry. He stands yeah. up for himself in like a huge way. Like you said earlier, it's not something that he necessarily intended to do, at least not directly. But the whole thing with the shattering of the glass, which is, first of all, an amazing and very impactful moment that Marge kind of glazes over, saying that she has the strong grip and everything. And, you know, Petunia and Vernon are like, mm-mm, I know what's up, bitch. You a flabby hoe. <laughs> you ain't got no muscle strength in that arm. They know Harry Clearly magical. you ain't giving nobody hand jobs because that's not your speed if you catch my drift. I mean, maybe Colonel Fubster likes it. Colonel Fubster. Colonel Fubster is a skinny little gay man. Probably. Fubster. Fubster. I, that, like, really stood out to me because she mentions him several times. What is the importance of this? I'm sure there's nothing and it's just, like, a humorous moment here, but I don't know. I want to know about Colonel Fubster. I feel like she thinks of him as her gentleman caller, but he's not. Totally not. I mean, I almost see him as being like a much older senior gentleman who just happens to somehow be in her life for some reason. Perhaps doesn't really interact with her so much, but she doesn't really understand that. You know, she's up in the cloud. She has a little bit of an ego. She doesn't understand, you know, her real relationship towards this man. Now, because the movie kind of fucks everything up here, when she breaks the glass here, that is, like, just the beginning. This isn't even when she, like, pushes him the furthest. Right. Because after that, you know, like, we move into the next part, and it says Harry got the next three days forcing himself to think about his handbook. It's from Hermione. Oh, that's right. That's right. And that's an important thing to is, mention, too. He really is quite in control of himself. And obviously, like, the glass breaking is the loss of his control. But just, like, the way he's able to bring himself down to that. It's a he's, mindfulness he's technique. He's very aware. And he just wants to be like, I can have my permission form signed so I can go to Hogsmeade. I can get through this. We're almost there. Like, he's really working hard. Yeah. He's meditating in this moment. 
He is focusing on something that I've talked a lot about and is a great value to have is gratitude. He's being grateful for the gift for Hermione. He is grounding himself. It's really very, very smart. But then he gets taken over the edge. And I think what takes him over the edge is the dig on his parents, right? It's and it's specifically on his father. So Uncle Vernon says he didn't work. He was unemployed. She goes into the whole thing and she's like, oh, he's good for nothing. He's a scrounger. And that's when Harry is freaking out on her. And he says, no, he was not. And then she says, proud of your parents, are you? They go and get themselves killed in a car crash. Drunk, I expect. And then he says, they didn't die in a car crash. They died in a car crash, you nasty little liar. Left you to be a burden on your decent, hardworking relatives. You are an insolent, ungrateful little... And then goes into the... Like That's even regard. more interesting because I think that he is practicing gratitude in these moments. He like really is trying. I mean, also... And she calls him ungrateful. This is a child who's been in a horribly abusive environment his entire life, basically. And he did nothing to deserve this. He's over here just trying to fucking mind his own business, get through his summer. And this woman is bullying a 13-year-old boy. Ew, you're terrible. And she's not even, like, around all the time. She's maybe she worse understand. than her brother. Oh, I definitely think she's worse than her brother. Yeah. Her brother's bad. But here's the thing is she's there for like 10 minutes and she's like, I'm just going to go for you. She clearly takes a little more enjoyment out of it. I think to an extent, Vernon and Petunia are like stuck with it. So they're like dealing with it in a terrible way. I would say Vernon and Petunia, it's wrong, but Vernon and Petunia truly do feel put upon. Again, they need to fucking get over it because they're not and they literally have... A child that has a right to treat them like shit and doesn't, but they actually truly feel put upon. This is a bullying exercise for her. It makes me think of like the environment that Vernon and Marge were in when they were children. They, I mean, I can't even imagine what their parents are like. It's like they were raised in the same way that Marge is raising these bulldogs to an extent. Can we comment on how she, she's like, oh, I had Colonel Fubster drown one. Oh yeah, there was, was that this too. mean little runty oh, thing, and she's like comparing that thing to Harry, and I was like, "You are comparing him to a dog that you murdered." I didn't even like write that down or anything, but it's cringeworthy. That is pretty terrible. We don't like her. He's trying real hard, but it it just isn't enough, and she just starts expanding like Violet Beauregard and blows up and flies out the door, flies out the window. But everything that happens in this moment too, and. We'll get to this in a moment, but the movie, like, does a really, really good job in yeah, this they moment do. of, like, all the details and, like, the bulldog kind of attacks Vernon and everything. It's really, really cool, and you get a really good picture of the rage that Harry experiences from that first, like, shattering of the glass from a couple days ago. Mm. But then this whole thing, and then even when he goes to retrieve his stuff, he makes the decision, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm not dealing with this anymore. He takes his destinies into his own hand. That door just, like, it, the flies open. door opens. It's he amazing. He goes and gets his shit. And then... And he's like, fuck you guys, I'm out of here. When I read this this time, I kind of got chills because I'm just like... I think of people who are getting out of a bad situation and just, like... The idea of it being so freeing. This last part of the chapter is, But a reckless rage had come over Harry. He kicked his trunk open, pulled out his wand, and pointed at Uncle Vernon. She deserved it. She deserved what she got. You keep away from me. I'm going. I've had enough. And then the next moment he's out in the dark, and then he's leaving. It's also not an easy thing to do for people to do something like that. Harry doesn't understand what his destiny is, what his... What his future is going to be. That's the other thing that I've been thinking about a lot is that now that he's 13, he's a teenager, there's a lot of moodiness that comes from this. Perhaps it really is a little bit of that. I mean, these are not his parents. These people are not normal. They're not, you know, the typical caregivers that you would typically see. But, I mean, I even think back to when, like, I was a teenager, and I had moments like this. And, you know, now years later as an adult, I can see, you know, where I was maybe be a little bit of an asshole myself and some of the times when i'm like okay my maybe my parents were unreasonable we're all humans we all make mistakes you know when you really go through everything on the page though i don't think harry is being unreasonable okay so i really agree with that and you were talking just now and i was like "Mm, i disagree with him and then you said that we did all go through that like teenage phase where we're like oh my god it's something to consider and they're assholes i think that with harry 
we can't really consider it on the aspect of he's in such a shitty situation. This is entirely self-defense. And, and he has the means desperation. to Like, Well, yes. I mean, obviously we see, and we'll look at it next chapter, but like, yes, as a 13-year-old, Harry definitely has the makings of like moody 13-year-old boy. But in his situation, I don't think it's a thing to even venture toward because, yeah. because again, and we've talked before about Harry's natural kindness and his instincts and Again, he has been in this shitty situation his entire life, basically. This is the breaking point for him. That means that he has endured quite a bit. To me, I personally just don't see how any of this can be chalked up to teenage I don't think so either. It's something to consider. But yeah, it's also not necessarily not present, you know? Yeah. Part of his confidence, I think. If it were Ron, for example, in this moment, like, okay, that's shitty 13-year-old boy. But like... Everything that has happened, him being able to look at the situation, too, and realize, okay, this is really worth doing this over. We have seen so many moments, too, of immense maturity from Harry in moments where he's completely calm and level-headed. This is a moment where he goes completely out of that. Well, and it's in times where you feel like, wow, how could you possibly be level-headed in that position? Because I wouldn't be. Spiders. So I think that's why I like it. I like that he takes his destiny out of there. There, Lord knows, all of you know that are listening to this, that I always look at this from like an adult perspective. And this is one moment where looking at his age and everything is very interesting. But I think that he's like, he's in the right here. It's very, very hard to be on Marge and Vernon's side. A lot of times I'm talking about how I wish I could remember how I felt about certain things first time I read them, especially with the early books. This one I remember reading and like how I had to jump into the next chapter because I was so worried about what he would do because I was a senior in high school. So I was a little more mature than people who like grew up with Harry and were his age. I remember being like, oh my God, what is this kid going to do? This is a really interesting way to end the chapter. You know, just like him being like, I don't fucking know. Because he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's easy for me to say as someone who's read this now several times. Right. You know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen because I'm now more than ever, I'm like, fuck yeah, Harry, you go. Because like you're... But you know what's going to happen. Yeah. As like a first time reader, it's still like, oh, you're out in the world. What are you going to... I mean, he's prevailed in some very dire situations. I mean, that basilisk moment, that was one of those times where I feel like fate was so on his side and everything kind of just fell into place for him. So you kind of get that sense that, you know, there's more to this world that we haven't seen. But yeah, I I can definitely see that. I have a question about that whole thing. Thinking about Harry in the situation that he is in at the end of book two, where he is facing off against fucking Basilisk, literally having poisonous fangs pierce his arm and willing to succumb to death. And the situation where at the end of this chapter, he's like, fucking gotta go. I am intrigued by the contrast between these things. Because after we've seen Harry go through these life-changing, life-threatening, literal, like, breath-from-death moments in the first two books to, oh, he's a teenage wizard out on his own, my initial reaction is that he can do anything. You know, he dealt with Giant Spider and survived the Basilisk and survived Quirldmore and all of that. But the idea of the muggle world is, in a way, maybe more terrifying at this point in the juncture because we haven't seen him with Sirius. We don't know how he's getting out of this. Like Perhaps. So I think it's fascinating to like consider that because it's a whole different world for him. I think not necessarily looking at them as two different worlds, but him looking at like the trajectory of his life is maybe how I approach it. He has experienced these things and like more than anything, like, yes, there were some pretty serious moments in book one, but in book two, like you said, a breath away from death. That's truly how it felt. And I feel like when you get that close or, you know, seeing people almost die, like Ginny, when you get to see those sort of things, you tend to, I think, maybe realize different things about living your own life, perhaps realizing like, okay, this is all bullshit. Like, I'm going to do what I need to do. His whole thing, like, I'm going to break into this cabinet and get my homework. I'm going to make the most of my summer and make the most of my time. And I'm going to let these fuckers control me the the way that they think they are. 
I think that is kind of taking a, a little bit of a precedence in his life. He is realizing, you know, I could die at any moment, maybe. You know, what's going to happen this year? Two years in a row, I come face to face with Voldemort. Maybe it's going to happen this year. I'm going to take the time that I have now. Well, and remember how he ended last summer with the warning from the Ministry about magic. Yeah. And just this thing just happened that he couldn't control with his aunt. His instinct is, I have to be on the run. That, and that again, he doesn't He doesn't have McGonagall. He doesn't have Dumbledore. He doesn't have Hagrid. He doesn't have these adults in the wizarding world to be his guide. He literally is like, I have to make the choice to leave right now. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. And while he was in the wizarding world, he's like, my focus, he knew what his focus was. His focus was, in the first book, to stop, in his mind, Snape from getting the Sorcerer's Stone. In the second book, his focus was to save the school, to save Ginny. Harry is not a I'm going to save my ass kind of person, but that's where he is in this point. I think those events have led to that. I agree. I think at this point, if we're looking at things through Harry's eyes, like, okay, what's actually going to happen? But I also even think of, like, him asking for help just blindly when he was going up against the Basilisk. I mean, you can't always do that. You know that there has to be some sort of action behind it. That's how I look at it. Like, I meditate. I like to try to manifest things into my life. Some people pray, etc. But I always think that there has to be some sort of, like, action towards it. You can't just, like put that out into the universe and believe that it's going to come to you. And so I wonder if he is kind of going based on blind faith. You know, there's things like Mrs. Fig out there, perhaps. There's, you know, the belief perhaps that there's some sort of tracking on him. I wonder if he has some angling towards that. You know? I don't know that he does. I think he's, I think it, it everything is very high that. intensity for him. Yeah. And he's like, because there's a lot of, and we look at definitely in the next yeah. chapter, just like, what is next? What do I do? He, everything is so reactionary. Based on how everything goes down, of course it is. Of course his reaction is, I have to get my stuff and I have to get out mm-hmm. because I don't know what to do. And there's not a person here who can tell me what to do. If that were you, if you were in his shoes, and there, let's say there was no night bus, which of course is what happens next, but like, let's say there was no night bus, like, what would you be your next step? I think, for me, it would be, I need to get to the Leaky Cauldron. That would be my answer, too. First, it would be to get as far away from there as possible, because I would need to calm down. To an extent, once he steps out of that door, I don't think that the Dursleys are at all an issue. They don't care enough to come after him. No. Also, they're preoccupied with Marsh. Oh, yeah. That's the thing that's more important. It's getting her back than Harry. I think, yes, calming down is like a gradual thing, but just looking at Harry and the way he reacts enough, he has no problem calming down. You know what I mean? It's interesting because I didn't expect mindfulness to come up as much as a theme, but I'm really seeing it now to your point... If it's me and not Harry, yes. I think I'm going to need some time to cool down as well. So I I, I think I agree. I think just like Harry at the end of the second book, he's just grasping for whatever makes sense and what gets him to the next place. Yeah. The idea of desperation. When you're in a high stress situation, I don't care who you are, what your natural reaction to that kind of thing is, you don't actually know how to navigate that. You might think you do and be very successful in it because your instincts are what guide you through. Some people are more like, you know, action-based. Tends to be a little bit like that. Yeah. But but yeah, I think it's true. It depends on the person and how how quick they react in a reactive situation. You're a child. He's a child. He's a teenager. He's 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 13 years old, goddammit. He's a child. I'm being sarcastic. Fuck, Mary kill. Oh. Marge. That's it. Fuck, Mary kill, Marge. <laughs> nope, bye. No. Uh, fuck, fuck, Mary kill, Marge, Vernon, and uh, Petunia. Petunia really isn't here, but those are your three options. I'm gonna marry Petunia. Okay. Was this really the conversation from earlier? Yeah. I said it in the last chapter, but I was like, we say this for this. Was it Petunia or was it Dudley? It was Dudley, but I changed it to Marge. Why? You want to you wanna fuck Dudley? I was going to marry Dudley, but apparently well, I'm not doing... Dudley Dudley's is not, not an part option. of this. Fuck. So I'm going to marry Marge. I'm marry Marge. <laughs> Hold on. No. No take backs. No take backs. I just you actually know. answered it already. You're Marge. It. Marrying Petunia, which is the first thing I said Who are you gonna before I was talking about Dudley. Which mountain are you gonna climb? 
Uh, probably Vernon. And you're gonna kill Marge? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? What's fucking Vernon like? Mount Vernon. <gasps> Mount Vernon is an actual place. Yeah. You could choose just to fuck George Washington's home. That's fine. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Mount Vernon is George Washington's home in Virginia by the Potomac River. Mount Vernon is I literally a town in like every fucking state in the United States. But Mount Vernon, it, like the Virginia one, is like yes, it's very a tourist attraction. Who cares about Mount Vernon, New Jersey? There's Mount Vernon, Ohio. I don't care about that and place. There's one in Iowa that's from my grandmother. Oh. Well, I'm sorry, Grandma Palm de Terre, but I don't care about Mount Vernon. She is not the Palm de Terre. She is German as fuck. German potato salad. German Palm de Terre salad. She's the German bitch. Um, yeah, I think that that's the only actual good answer there, especially since you took Dudley out of the mix. You really wanted to fuck Dudley. I wanted to marry Dudley. Daddy fuck. Who? Who is? He's a child. Are you gonna marry a child? Oh, I wasn't gonna fuck a child. I might as well marry him. You know that vine where from it's the guy abusive and he's like, parents. what's worse than no. a rapist? And then he pulls the paper away and it says child rapist. And he's like, boom. And the guy looks at the camera and he's like, a child. That's why I was gonna marry him. Because fucking him is I'm not calling you a child rapist. Terrible. It just reminded me of that vine. And also, killing a child is terrible. I mean... You didn't answer the question. Oh, you, oh okay, okay, fine. Uh, I, man, you guess the same answers as me, don't you? Probably. I mean, I'll fuck Vernon because I don't want to fuck no ladies. <laughs> I'm not marrying Marge, so she a dead bitch. Marge dying. She gonna go into space and die and suffocate. <laughs> you know, Ampetunia probably can cook. Cool. Ready to talk about the movie? Oh, yes. I honestly think the movie does a great job. It just condenses things a lot. At the very beginning of the movie, we see the little moment that we talked about already about the like letter to Hogsmeade, which I think is great. It brings in that Hogsmeade element. We don't get as much bitchiness from Marge that we do in the book. I mean, it's all, though, in one moment, and that's yes. funny. And also, she's so fucking trunchbully. It really is trunchbully. I think that is a big, interesting connection. And I did not bother to look this up, but I don't remember if Matilda came out before or after. I think it was oh God, probably before. Before. It's almost clever to put her in this role because she's had that and she talks about being in a school environment and everything. I wonder if other people picked up on that. Well, we've already talked about how the actress is probably amazing and the sweetheart. Yeah. You know, and I've talked about other characters such as maybe Margolis, for example, or Dawn French, who's the fat lady. And she's the fat lady in this movie, too. Yes. Obviously, I've not seen that yet. But, like, some of those characters show up in um, British renditions of like murder mysteries like Miss Fisher and Poirot and all that good stuff like you do kind of see that other aspect I mean you can't pigeonhole some of these actresses oh they only play the villain like right. might this particular actress I don't even know what her name is off the top of my head we, we need to look yeah up. we didn't care to look that up hey Alexa who played the Trunchbull in Matilda in Matilda Trunchbull was played by Pam Ferris that sounds right Pam Ferris Pam Ferris yes. because she's brilliant wow like, she's so Did good that? Uh, the robot actually contributed something positive for once thanks alexa G- no good job robot you call them a robot if you don't want them to respond good job bitch bitch robot bitch robot another one is um zoe wanamaker like mm-hmm. she i've seen her a lot in other things it's just like us you know we've i've played cops and cowboys a lot I just, that just happens to be the thing. Tara's played homeless women a lot. I have played homeless women a lot. I mean, clearly you see the similarities between those characters Psycho bitches. Yes. I am people who like having authority and cowboys. (laughs) And I am homeless. (laughs) Real good Bang, bang, Woo! Yeah, I mean, you can obviously, like, draw that connection, but it's two, like, movies geared towards children that were not too far apart it's an actress not necessarily as common perhaps in american films and so it's interesting 
But I think she does a great job. It definitely is not as severe as it is in the books, but it's condensed. But they do a pretty decent job of getting the whole thing across in the movie. The whole culmination of, like, the anger that Harry has, the glass shattering, I mean, even the reaction of, like, Petunia when that happens. And Dudley, you mentioned when we were watching it, Dudley is so, like, oblivious. So this is a new director. um, Yes. From the first two movies. Mm -hmm. The whole movie itself, we definitely will get into. But the filmography, you notice the difference right away in these scenes. The way that Um, it's, like, filmed. The way that it's filmed. The cuckoo clock, for example. And that kind of, like... It's very good. And I... The choice to turn this scene into kind of a comedic strength of the movie and the way that the camera like pans on Tunya and Vernon and how they react and then like playing up Dudley just kind of watching TV and just you know we have what two hours and 40 minutes of a movie that came out of a 22 chapter book this chapter is well represented represented. I I mean even like some of the filming choices I mentioned the cuckoo clock but like the flickering of the lights in the kitchen like it gives a little bit of more of like a sinister thing on Harry's part which adds the badassness in my opinion I like that it starts in her finger because she's got like her finger up to like kind of tell him Um, and like you kind of see that kind of get bloated at first and even like the little moment where Vernon is hanging on to Marge and the dog is hanging on to Vernon and clearly it must look like Vernon's about to let go and his sister's like don't you dare I don't know that even that little moment of like brother sister good humor that is really necessary in that part of the story also Ripper is adorable even though he's an asshole he is and he's not as much of an asshole he's also an alcoholic it's fine Ripper me too we are all Ripper Ripper likes some brandy that's right. Which Adam doesn't really care about brandy, but I, I mean, like brandy. Eh, it's not my first thing. That's fair. I would choose. We didn't even watch this portion, but I know this happens from seeing this movie. Like the continuity of in the next scene that is moving a little bit towards the night bus and everything. There's this little moment where like she's way up in the sky and you can kind of still still to hear her screaming. Yeah, it's great. I think it's great too. They condense it, but they still infuse so much detail into this movie portion that I really really enjoy how they did it. As far as how well the chapter is represented, I feel like it's. I like it. Yeah, I do. Because remember, we're also putting. 22 chapters into however long this movie yeah, is. Yeah, two hours or whatever. It doesn't waste time. It, it doesn't. It gets what it needs to get out of it. I don't think there's anything I miss. I think sometimes when they do cut things, I do tend to miss certain things, but I really don't. Last chapter, obviously, I miss a little bit more. But I mean, it makes sense. You have to think of like the switch from the book medium to the movie medium. So. Yeah, I think it's a good representation you know, this is a hard book to put into. into yeah, I they're going to get harder shit. When I picked up this book this time and read these first two chapters, I was like, wow, this is already quite a bit heftier than Chamber of Secrets. So. Points. So I think my points are going to be a little bit predictable. At the beginning of last book, I was like, I'm going to try to rein myself in. I'm not doing that. I'm going to go jump right into the deep end. You do you. I'm going to give 50 points to Harry. That's a lot for this early. But I really love the balls that he takes to, like, take control of the situation, not care about how his anger is making him overreact without overreacting. Because it really is, like, him doing this without meaning to, perhaps. Like, going back to what I said, I do think that his, like, anger here is warranted and that he's a mature enough person, even being at freshly 13 years old. I really, really love this. I was very, very proud of Harry in this moment. So, plus 50. And at the same time, negative 50 to March. And I'm also going to give negative 50 to Vernon. I mean, they're the same person. They were raised together. They're similar. They have the same abusive tendencies. Even though Marge is at the forefront here, Vernon is still the one who has let this go on for Harry's entire life so far. He threatens to beat the stuffing out of Harry. Also, you kind of see him not necessarily get softer, but back off a little bit and give in to Harry a little bit, which is cool. I love it. But, like, he very quickly kind of, like, accepts the blackmail. And, like, at the very end, we kind of see it in the movie, too, 
there's this moment where he comes up and he's like, you bring that bitch down from the sky. And he's like, get the fuck away from me. And he takes out his wand and he immediately backs off. I don't know. There's a lot of nuances there. Can I comment on him? He literally sits by and lets this happen. That oh that's true okay he, yeah. yes we got to go back really briefly to the movie that there's that moment where he like first um, blows up Petunia and Werner are just like chilling they don't really react it's kind he, of interesting he could maybe put an end to it by stopping Marge from being an asshole well he, you know that's not I mean it's, right. it's gonna be him stopping him well and in the book he actually is like go to bed Harry he tries to in the movie yeah. he does not. Still take 50 points from him. Yeah, he yeah, sucks. he deserves to take 50 points. This is my one time to take 50 points from Vernon. Oh, so literally take 50 points from him in chapter 15, who no one cares because he's the worst. I mean, Be like, I'm going to try to stick at least... 50 points from Vernon uh, for existing. Yeah, fine. I mean, I could do that about anybody. I could give 50 points to Quinn Pomfrey in every chapter. Yeah. No, I'm going to stick to it. Negative 50. We don't really see him much for the rest of this book. But you didn't endure it. Dirdly. Oh my god. Aw, <laughs> Dirdly. You know how it is. We're Poor Dirdly <laughs> Floofy Bumpkins. Y'all know how it is. We're at the end of recording two episodes. I'm tired. Dudley and Petunia aren't even going to end up in points. They're at zero right now. Plus 50 to Harry, negative 50 to Vernon, negative 50 to Marge. And I'm going to give five to Colonel Vobster because he's there. And I'm like, what are you doing? A plus five to maybe dealing with Marge. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine, like, the way that she talks about you, that it's a two-sided relationship. I feel like she might be taking advantage of you. Probably. I feel like you're an old, crusty motherfucker, and you're just like, oh, I guess I'm going to have to deal with this. I always think about, like, why did she name certain characters the way that she did? Like, Real Fubster, Mosog was another one. Like, what, what does that mean? It, I don't know. It's just intriguing to me. I mean, I didn't really care because we're never going to hear about Colonel Fubster again. But plus five to Colonel Fubster. You go, Colonel Fubster. Yes. Four for you, Colonel Fubster. And none for Aunt Marge. Goodbye. Goodbye. That's that a mean all your reference. points? That's all. Next time we're reading a chapter that I didn't care to look up because that's what I oh, do. Um, I mean, I have the book I right here. I feel like I... <laughs> it's the night bus. You're totally right. Am I, mean, I right? Is it, it the night it bus? It can't not be the night bus, right? Three, it's the night bus. bus. Oh my god. I We've just, mentioned the night best already. I didn't even things. open my book. I'm so good. I mean, clearly that's the next thing that happens. It's fine. Give me some goddamn credit. Here. I'm not giving you any points. <laughs> I didn't ask for points. I asked for credit. Talk to you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time for chapter three, the night bus. They know that already. Bye, hoes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch, Catch you later, later, snitches! snitches.